As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, your word is indeed nourishment to our souls. We ask that you would open us, our hearts, our minds, our souls, to hear what you have to say to us this day, that we might live faithfully as your disciples in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you may know, the chapter and verse designations that we have in our Bible were a later addition to these translated texts, and not necessarily arbitrary, but sometimes we could ask exactly why they might have been um, designated that way. Today we're going to read the very end of one chapter and then the beginning of another, and think about whether these stories were maybe meant to be read together and not separately. We'll be reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God." Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, "'Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price.' And she said, "'Yes, that was the price.' Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of God to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. This, too, 
is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Oh gosh, guys. (laughs) Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) So the Reverend Mark Ramsey, our parish associate, once told me about a ballot initiative in Colorado. This was about 20 years ago. If the initiative had passed, it would have eliminated the property tax exemption for a whole host of nonprofit organizations. The Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, Kiwanis and Rotary Clubs, hospitals and churches. In a long list of organizations dedicated in one way or another to making the world a better place was the Church of Jesus Christ. Which begs the question, what sets the church apart? What makes the church different from these organizations? They all serve the community. They often have large gatherings. They learn about and discuss the big issues of our time. Sometimes they hold long, boring meetings. We do all of these things. So maybe we're not so different after all. But we might protest, wait, the church is more than that. Clubs and nonprofits do not marry or bury people. They are not involved at every step along life's path. They do not baptize or gather around the Lord's table. And all those things are true yet they still don't get at the heart of what truly sets the church apart from all the wonderful nonprofit organizations that bring people together to do good. So what does it mean to be the church? What sets, what makes First Presbyterian Richmond a church and not another club? Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. It seems like the first sentence of today's reading gets to the heart of what the church is meant to be, a place of unity. The whole group is of one heart and soul. And a place where that unity leads to extraordinary generosity. For those first believers... That unity touched not only their hearts and souls, but also their wallets. They shared everything. There was not a needy person among them. In fact, some of the members of this community were so moved, they not only shared what was in their wallets, they sold their homes and their property, and they gave the proceeds to the community. So according to this description... One thing that sets the church apart from other organizations is that rather than charging dues or assigning volunteer requirements, rather than creating a transactional relationship where members give this and get that in return, in the church we get to decide for ourselves what we will give, whether that gift is our time, our talents, our treasure, And once we decide what we will give, we get to decide how much. We give as the Spirit moves us. 
But maybe this isn't so unusual either. Have you heard of Mr. Beast? Last week, my kids insisted on showing me a YouTube video by this creator who has over 100 million subscribers to his channel. And for what? Well, Mr. Beast is mostly known for videos in which he gives things away. Mostly, he gives away cash, big stacks of cash. But sometimes, he gives away an entire store's worth of food. Like he goes to a store and he buys everything in the store and he gives it away. Or sometimes it's a brand new car. In the video my kids wanted to show me, he had opened a fast food restaurant, just a drive through restaurant, but at this restaurant, the food was free. When you drove up to the window and ordered your burgers, you were also likely to get a bag of cash to go with them, or a brand new iPad, or a new car. As the word in town spread on this one day that the restaurant was open, the line of cars for the drive through window grew and grew until eventually it was 20 miles long. I have to tell you, watching that video, I felt like my brain had broken. I kept thinking, wait, how is this possible? Where is this money coming from? What are those people going to do with it? Does this kind of gift get taxed? But mostly, I just kept thinking, this isn't the way the world works, is it? Well, in today's passage, it kind of is. A man named Joseph, a kind of Mr. Beast of the ancient Near East, was so moved by the Spirit, he decided to sell a field and donate all the proceeds to the church. This generous act earns him a name change, which is a big deal in the Bible. He goes from being Joseph to Barnabas, a name that means son of encouragement. It's almost as cool as Mr. Beast, right? Barnabas became the example that everyone else was supposed to follow. Now, if we had stopped our reading there with Barnabas's story, we might decide that what makes the church the church, what sets the church apart, is this total unity combined with extraordinary generosity. And that might make us a little nervous, especially on Dedication Sunday. But I'm betting I'm not the only one who finds it hard to relate to Barnabas and easier to relate to Ananias and Sapphira, the ones who also sell their property and who also give a big chunk of the proceeds to the church, but who collaborate together to keep some of it back for themselves. I relate to them because, honestly, that makes sense to me. It is wise. It is rational. It is also biblical, since the usual standard of giving in the Bible is the tithe, or 10% of your resources. Before the church existed, God's people were not expected to give everything away. Unfortunately for people like me, who relate more to Ananias and Sapphira than to Barnabas, when the misrepresentation of Ananias and Sapphira's gift is discovered, they both drop dead. So what are we to make 
of that. Well, I would suggest it's possible, maybe even probable, that the story didn't unfold exactly as it is presented here. It's possible it became exaggerated over time, like a family tale about the size of the fish once caught, or the feast once prepared, or like a well-edited YouTube video. In reality, months or years could have passed between the discovery of their lie and Ananias and Sapphira's deaths. Maybe they left the community or were ejected from it after their deception, making them as good as dead to their friends. Or maybe this lie and its consequences just sent them into a downward spiral, leading to their early demise. Whatever the case, the church must have told and retold and maybe exaggerated this story to make a point, a point about what makes the church the church. And this story suggests that not only is the church about much more than the unity and generosity that characterized it for a hot second, the church is also a place where, from the very beginning, people were free to decide how they would live up to its ideals. And as we see again and again in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, they often failed spectacularly. If the point of this story is that unless we sell everything we have and give all the money to the church, God will strike us dead, then I suggest we stop reading the Bible and form a different kind of organization. But what Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira suggests that's not the point. Peter isn't that upset that the couple held back some of the proceeds of their sale. He's upset that they lied about it. They claimed they were giving everything, when in fact they were giving some, but not all. What Peter finds so egregious is that they have sought to deceive not just the community or themselves, but God, because their actions belie their belief that their possessions belong to them when they came from God and belong to God. If we read these two passages together, as I believe they are meant to be read, we discover that what makes the church the church is that it is not just that ideal community described at the end of Acts chapter 4, one of unity and radical generosity. It is also not just the community described at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, where one couple's mistake leads to them being shamed to death by the community's leaders. What makes the church the church is both of these things together. As New Testament scholar Matt Skinner puts it, throughout history, churches have always been communities of both self-giving and of false commitment to others, as well as everything in between. He goes on, As I look across my own life, I have found within the church incredible generosity, financial and otherwise, And yet, I have also encountered in the church some of the most self-centered, destructive, manipulative behavior I've ever seen. The church is indeed a place where we are inspired to give in extraordinary ways, and it is a place where we sometimes act out our deeply human fears and flaws. The church is both of these things. 
And yet, in the midst of that contradiction and confusion, God brings us together to practice generosity and forgiveness and to proclaim the good news of God's mercy, justice, and love. On the day after the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., cities across the nation were bracing for another night of riots. The city officials in Boston were particularly worried because James Brown was scheduled to give a concert. They eventually decided to let the concert go on, but to also broadcast it live on public television, thinking that might keep some people home and off the streets. The gamble worked. But in the middle of the concert, there was a moment when it looked like a riot might break out as a group of young men rushed the stage, pushing past police officers. Wait a minute, wait a minute, James Brown said when it happened. It's all right, it's all right. Can't y'all just let us do the show together? He is desperately trying to de-escalate the situation. I asked the police to step back. I can, so I can get some respect for my people. Let's respect ourselves, he said. And then he addressed everyone, the audience, those watching on television, the police. Are we together or are we ain't, he said. Are we together? Ultimately, Brown was credited with keeping Boston calm that night, and some would argue it came down to that three-word question, are we together? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was once asked what he thought was the most radical claim Christianity makes. After a moment, he said, the most radical claim Christianity makes is this, together, we are the body of of Christ. This is what sets the church apart. Improbably, remarkably, miraculously, the church in all its messy wonder is the body of Christ. It's where we practice radical generosity, acknowledging that we belong to God and one another, and so do our resources, even when we find ourselves holding something back out of fear or anxiety. The church is where we bring our very best and sometimes, without meaning to, our very worst. It's also where, by the grace of God, we practice holding our best and worst together. Church is where we can be honest with each other and with ourselves about who we are by bringing all we have to this community, our gifts of wisdom and experience and knowledge, our creativity and music and art, our capacity for hope and forgiveness and joy. We will not always bring these things perfectly or wholeheartedly. Sometimes, without even realizing it, we will forget who God has called us to be and give in to fear and deceit. But today, as we come forward together to lay on this table the fruits of our labors and our lives, we remember and proclaim that this community, this place, this thing we call church is radically different from anything else in our lives. For this is where we are truly set free, free to give, free to forgive, 
free to try again and be made new, free to proclaim that with all our imperfections, we are a family, free to gather in gratitude at God's table together. Amen.